We're going to return to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. We are studying the Sermon on the Mount. And today we'll be looking at verses 19 through 24 of Matthew chapter 6. So I'd ask that you turn there. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 22, The light of the body is the eye, and if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the day. Lord, you are worthy of all praise. You're worthy of all honor and glory. You are God above all, and Lord, we understand more and more each day that even when we are not good, that you are. We're thankful for that. Lord, you bless us despite our sinfulness. Lord, you love us despite the times that we fail you. And um, Lord, you are faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to you. God, we can't thank you enough for that. I pray that based upon your love and your goodness and your faithfulness that you would provide in us a heart that wants to be faithful and loving and good towards you and your kingdom. We're thankful for all those that are here this morning. We ask that you would please speak to us. Lord, I know that we've come here not just to receive for ourselves, but we've come here to offer worship and praise and glory and honor to you. Lord, as we are in your presence, as we meet with you today, as we do give you all those things that you deserve, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us direction in our lives, that we may more be able to give you praise and honor and glory on this earth. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who loved us, who died for our sins on the cross, who rose again the third day. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Today we're looking at life, a life for the king. Now last week we, we talked about life in the kingdom and we looked at verses 19 through 21 uh, talking about not laying up treasures on earth but instead laying up treasures in heaven and we spoke about what life was supposed to be like in the kingdom. Well today uh, we want to talk about a life that is lived for the king. And so we understood last week that we are living in a kingdom and that if we're going to do that if we're going to live in this kingdom of God, then there should be a, a certain types of behavior or certain types of mindsets that we uh, take upon ourselves or we ask God to produce in us in order that we might better glorify Him through His kingdom. But today I want us to get a little bit more specific on us ourselves and our hearts and what it means individually to live a life for the King. Now, just in case uh, there's any confusion on who the King is, the King is Jesus, right? The king, the king is Christ. And the king in these verses is, of course, telling the people of his kingdom what he expects from them, uh, the, the attitude they are supposed to take about life and about self and about others. And, uh, and we find some very interesting truths today 
as we discuss a life that is lived for the king. Well, I want us to jump right in. And we're going to talk, first of all, about a life that is lived for the king is one that is lived in loyalty to Christ. And so if we're going to live a life for the king, then we must live a life that is in loyalty to Christ. We find that in verses 19 through 21. Now, I know we read these last week, but let's read these again. He says, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Verse 21 sums it all up. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, I know that we spoke on these verses at length last week. Uh, and we're not going to, uh, of course, treasure the things of this world, but rather we are to be treasuring the things of heaven. And, uh, and there were some, some great points that uh, we found last week about this truth. Now, what I want us to do in, in reviewing these verses is to understand that these verses are about more than merely the things that you treasure in this world. They are about where your loyalties lie. Where are your loyalties? Who are you loyal to? And there are three possibilities here on where your loyalties lie. And everybody in this building is going to fit into uh, one of these three categories. Well, let's look at what he says here. First of all, he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. The focus there is that we are not to lay up for ourselves. And so one of the places where our loyalty can be placed of course, is, is on ourselves, that we are, we are loyal to ourselves and to our agendas and to our wants and our needs and, and the kingdom that we're trying to build here on this earth. Do we have anybody loyalty, uh, having some loyalty to themselves and to their kingdom this morning? I'm sure that we probably do. Let's look at another word here. He says, don't treasure the treasures of this earth. Now, we discussed last week that there is a world system that is going on in this world right now. We see it in our culture. We see it in the movies. We see it in the music. We see it in, uh, in society itself. There is a world system that is at work here. And this world system is attractive. This world system, when we're a part of it, it makes us feel good. It gets us excited about the things that are out there in our culture and in society and, uh, and all the things that are going on in this world. And so we can't allow our priorities or we can't allow our loyalties to be placed on the things of the world. But there's a third place where we can, uh, where we can put our loyalties, and that is in heaven. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but he says instead lay up treasures in heaven. Now really, if we wanted to be accurate with all this, it really boils down to two places where loyalty lies. Now I said it, it can lie with yourself, it can lie with the world, or it can lie with God, but here's really where, where things are. You see, all the things of this world that look so attractive and that, that, that feel so good and, and uh, that, that draw us in uh, so deeply, all those things, we love those things and we're loyal to those things because of how they serve us. If it wasn't fun to us, we wouldn't do it. If it wasn't attractive to us, if it wasn't going to benefit us, then we wouldn't have any part of it. And the truth is, is that both the world and religion can be all about self. 
Some people only want something to do with God when it benefits them. When I'm low on money, if God can benefit me, then that's who I'm going to look to. When things are going hard in life, if God can benefit me, then that's who I want to go to. uh, He is going to be my top priority during this period of time. But you see, even then, God is is not a, a, a part of our loyalty in life because of who He is. We become loyal to God because of what He can do for us. And so where's the focus really? It's on self. And so even religion and even God and even church and all these other things can really just be a a way for us to be loyal to us and to our own kingdom. And so really there are only two places that we can put loyalty, or where we're going to put loyalty. We're either going to be loyal to us and our kingdom, or we're going to be loyal to God and His kingdom. Now, the first is selfish. The second is selfless. But we have to make the decision which one we're going to devote ourselves to. Well, if we're going to live a life in this kingdom of God, and if we're going to live a life for this king, then selfishness has no part. If this is a life for the king, then our loyalty is not to ourselves and what benefits us, our loyalties are shifted towards God and what benefits Him and His kingdom. So that's the question. Do your loyalties lie to this kingdom, to your kingdom, or to God's kingdom? Well, if we're going to live a life for the king, that means that all we have and all we do is centered around magnifying the king and his kingdom. Now, I want you to understand that in these verses, Jesus did not say that we couldn't lay up treasures. He did not say that we couldn't treasure things or that we couldn't hold anything precious to us. The emphasis was on what we're treasuring and who it's for. So he didn't say don't have treasures. He didn't say don't treasure things. He says to pay attention, is this treasure about you and for you, or is it about me and for me? And so we can treasure things, but he says the things we are to treasure are not things of earth, because we're not citizens here if we know Christ. But the things that we treasure are to be of heaven. And that's where we lay up treasures. That's what becomes precious to us, is is Him and His kingdom and His agenda in life. Now, I want to share a secret with you this morning, and it's not really a secret because it's in the Bible, but it's a secret if you haven't read it. But here's a secret. Number one, God owns everything. Do you agree with that? God owns everything. It's all His. And anything that you have, you have because God granted it to you. He entrusted those possessions into your life. Now here we are, we're trying to build up our kingdom, we're trying to get more stuff, and we're asking God for more stuff, and we're asking God for more money, and we're wondering why it's not coming. It's because we haven't realized that, number one, we don't own anything, God owns everything, and that the things He entrusts to us, He entrusts to us for the benefit of His kingdom, not ours. And so God owns everything, and here's what I want you to understand, I believe that God wants to be able to bless you with more. I believe God wants to bless you with more money. I believe God wants to bless you with more 
treasures and more stuff. Now everybody's listening, aren't they? We're going to drift off in some uh, health and wealth gospel here. God wants to put a blessing on your life. Well, that is true. But the purpose of blessing you is not so that you become a well or a sea of blessings that just receives and receives and receives and receives. But God wants to bless you so that His blessings can flow to you and through you. God wants to bless you more so that you can bless others through Him. Or so that He can bless others through you. Here's a very interesting thing. You know, all the Bible um, has its focus on one nation, and that's Israel. And in Israel, of course, they're the ones that receive God's Word and, and uh, you know, a lot of the streets and everything. And, and in Israel, what's very interesting is the land that Israel possesses has a river that runs from the north to the south. That's called the Jordan River. And up at the very, very farthest northern point that you could find on the northern river, uh, on the Jordan River is, excuse me, the, it's called Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is a great big mountain. It's got snow caps, beautiful, beautiful place. Well, up on Mount Hermon, it's, uh, the snow begins to melt and it begins to run down into three or four different streams. And those streams all rush in together at a, uh, at a point uh, that, that forms the Jordan River. It's very turbulent in that area uh, because everything's running together and, and it pushes the water on downstream. Well, the water from the Jordan River, it flows from north to south and it goes through at least two major bodies of water. The one at the north is called the Sea of Galilee. The one at the south is called the Dead Sea. You've heard of these if you've been in church for any time. Well, this is what the the river does. And more importantly, this is what those bodies of water do. As the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, it brings life and blessings and everything that's necessary for that sea to survive, for that sea to exist. And so all the blessings of the Jordan River flowing from Mount Hermon are poured right down into the Sea of Galilee. Well, what the Sea of Galilee does is it provides fresh water, it provides fish, and so water is flowing to it, blessings are flowing into it, but then in return, what the Sea of Galilee does is it provides fish for all those who are around. It provides water for those that are around the borders. It provides all kinds of life and and the things that are necessary for others to have blessings as well. And then not only does it do that, but you see water flows in at the north part of the Sea of Galilee, and then right at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, there's another opening where water flows out. And those streams of blessings begin to flow down river to other places. You see, the Sea of Galilee receives, it receives a lot, but it gives as much as it receives. And the more that the Sea of Galilee gives, the more it receives. Well, the Jordan River, after it flows out of the Sea of Galilee, it flows on down south for another 150 miles, 200 miles, something like that. Flows on down south all the way to another body of water, which is called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because nothing lives in it. You can't fish out of the Dead Sea. 
you can't drink out of the Dead Sea, you can't do anything out of the Dead Sea, except when it is abundant and abundant and abundant, it sat there long enough, you could scrape some stuff off the top, but that's about it. There's not much use for the Dead Sea. You know what the Dead Sea does? The Dead Sea receives, and that's all it does. The Jordan River flows into it, and it flows, and it gives, and it gives, and it pours its goodness, and it pours its blessing right into the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea is not fresh water, it's salt water. There's nothing that lives in the the Dead Sea. It is completely dead. It's said that birds won't even fly over the top of it because there is no profit in the Dead Sea whatsoever. It just takes and takes and takes and takes. By the way, the Jordan River stops there. Not only does it just take everything, but it, it doesn't allow anything to pass through at all. It's completely closed up. Now, here's the point in all this. Y'all were waiting for that, weren't you? We've got a choice when it comes to God's blessings. God wants to bless us with more, I believe. But He doesn't want to bless us with more just so we can take and take and take and receive and receive and give nothing back in return. He wants to bless us with more so that with open hands we can bless others. We receive blessings so that we can give blessings. We receive more money so that we can give more money. For what purpose and to what end? To benefit His kingdom agenda. And so God wants to bless the people of His kingdom So that in return, they can reach out to others and they become a part of this kingdom as well. He wants to bless the people and the residents of His kingdom, the citizens of His kingdom, so that His kingdom can expand. But here's what people do with God's blessings. It stops there. They well up. They become a dead sea, as it were, of blessings. And never give back. In return. And so they wonder why God's blessings slow down or why they stop. By the way, as you know, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River still does pass through, but it only trickles in right now. Or sea, the Dead Sea, excuse me. The sea of Galilee, water's pouring through freely. But right before you get to the Dead Sea, it just trickles on in. Why? Because well, it doesn't give anything. You see, we want to get more so that we can hoard more to ourselves. But God wants to give us more so that it can flow to others, so that we can be blessings to other people. In order for that to happen, there has to be a shift in our mindsets. Now, in verses 22 through 23, we find that not only is a life for the king, not only is it a life of loyalty to Christ, but it's also a life of singular devotion to him in verses 22 through 23 look with me there in verse 6 in chapter 6 verse 22 it says the light of the body is the eye if therefore thine eye be single thy whole body shall be full of light but if thy eye be evil thy whole body shall be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness how great is that darkness i'm gonna ask brother randall come on up explain that to us this morning you ready I wonder how many times the disciples listened to what Jesus said and then just looked back and said, 
what? I, Lord, you're going to have to explain this. I don't know what you're saying. And this, for me, has always been uh, one of those verses where I just say, Lord, help my understanding with this. This illustration that Jesus gave goes a little deeper than my mind is uh, used to diving. So, in short, I just want to explain what Jesus is saying here. He gives the illustration of an eye. In the physical sense, the eye is what brings light into the body. Now, that is literal in that the light interprets and translates light into the mind so that we're able to see. Okay? That's why when it's dark, you can't see anything (laughs) because there's no light. But when there's light, the eye is able to to see that, to receive it and translate it to the mind. And so, in, in a mental sense, also what the eye does is it brings sight or knowledge or truth into the mind as well. And so, therefore, the eye is the light of the body because it brings knowledge and understanding uh, into uh, the mind and, and, therefore, the body. Now, he says here, he says, if the eye is single, in verse 22, if the eye is single or if it's healthy, then it brings light in the way that it's supposed to. And, therefore, it sees things correctly. Yet if the eye is evil, if you look in verse 23, if the eye is evil, that means if it's unhealthy, if it has an astigmatism, then it does not see correctly. How many here uh, today, how many of us have an astigmatism? We have several that have astigmatisms. Now, if you don't have your glasses on or contacts on, how do things look? Blurry, right? And, uh, and I guess it just varies on how, how bad the, the astigmatism is. Um, I read this. This is very interesting. I, I just want you to follow along. Bear with me here for just a second. This is what I found about astigmatism. And astigmatism is not an eye disease or a, an eye health problem. It is simply a problem with how the eye focuses light. In an eye with astigmatism, light fails to come Uh, to a single focus on the retina uh, to produce clear vision. Instead, multiple focus points occur. And so what happens in an eye with astigmatism, simply put, is that it causes a person to have multiple focus points. There is not a singleness of focus. And if that is the case, then it's very, very difficult for the body to interpret what it sees, a.k.a. Darkness in the sense of poor vision occurs, so things become blurry in life, blurry in sight. The spiritual application here is that Christians are to have a singleness of devotion to God. The thought here is identical to that of being pure in heart, as we find in chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, to be pure in heart means, if you remember back, it means that there are no folds or no secret chambers in our heart. That we we don't have part of our heart devoted to to family, part of our heart devoted to, uh, to work, part of our heart devoted to sin, and part of our heart devoted to God. There are not folds or creases in our hearts, but our heart has a singleness of devotion. That's what it means to be pure in heart. 
I read where there are three types of astigmatism. One type of astigmatism has to do with being nearsighted. How many of us are nearsighted? All right. Uh, the other, the second has to do with being farsighted. Anybody farsighted here today? I forgot which one I am, but I can only see things that are close. What does that mean? I'm nearsighted. Okay, yeah. I don't have an astigmatism, but I am nearsighted. But there's a third type of, of, of an astigmatism, and the third is called a mixed astigmatism. Now, a mixed astigmatism, I can't even say the word, astigmatism, excuse me, is this. <laughs> a mixed astigmatism, I'm not even going to say that word again, is this. It's where part of the eye tries to focus on what is near, and another part tries to focus on what is far. Now, one type causes some nearsightedness, another type causes farsightedness, but mixed means that I'm trying to look, I'm trying to focus on both. I'm trying to focus on what's here and what's there at the same time. I have multiple focus points. Let me read you uh, what this says about a mixed astigmatism. It helps when I say it slower. A mixed astigmatism, I'm not, I will not say that word again in this sermon, okay? Is when one principal meridian is nearsighted and the other is farsighted. Now the meridian has to do with your field of focus. And so with a mixed astigmatism, I got it, you are partially focused on what's near, partially focused on what's far away. In other words, there's two fields of focus. Listen, we have a lot of Christians here today whose spiritual lives are suffering from a mixed astigmatism. Whose spiritual lives are suffering because they have more than one field of focus. You see, they... They're trying to focus on what's here. And they're trying to focus on what's there at the same time. And when you try to focus on something that's near and far at the same time, you won't be focused on anything. Everything is going to become... Listen, when our lives, when our hearts become focused on what is here on earth, and then at the same time we try uh, with the other side to, to be focused on things that are in heaven, everything in life is going to become blurred. We're not going to be able to give 100% to either one. We have mixed and multiple fields of purpose. Listen, to have an eye that is single means that your heart has one focus, and that is God. And so you're not seeing double anymore. You're not trying to see earth and heaven at the same time. There's not one eye on earth and one eye on heaven, but in a life for a king, there is one focus. You see, when we decide that God is going to be our king, and I'm going to live my life for the king, then I have a singleness of focus, and that belongs to God. And so what has happened essentially is, is God has put corrective contacts over my eyes. Corrective contacts. And right across 
those corrective contacts are two words. God's kingdom. And everything that I look at now, everything that I see is seen through that lens. And so when I look at my job, it is seen through the lens of God's kingdom. When I look at my family, it is seen through the lens of God's kingdom. How can I use my kingdom, my job, excuse me, to further God's kingdom? How can I use my family and train my children to further God's kingdom? When I look at church, it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want, what worship style I like, and and, uh, who I want here and all those other things. It's not about any of that. When When I look at church, it's seen through the lens of God's kingdom. Everything that I do, all that I see, is seen through the lens of what's going to benefit His kingdom, not mine. That's what it means when He says, if your eye be single, then your body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, if you have multiple focuses in life, then your body will be darkness. And He says, if the thing that's supposed to be bring light into your life, He says, if that's not working correctly... How great is your darkness? We've got a lot of Christians today that are living confused lives. They they don't know how to get closer to God. They're they're wondering, why have I been saved so long and I don't feel any closer to God? They're wondering, why do I read the Bible and I still don't feel closer to God? They're wondering, why do I go to church every Sunday and listen to the sermons and, and at the end of the sermons I say, God, I want to be closer to you, but I never feel closer to Him. Why is it that I don't feel God's blessings on my life? Why is it that nothing prospers that I touch, but everything falls apart? We have lots of Christians today that God wants to bless, but they're seeing destruction and chaos in their lives. You want to know why? Because they don't have a singular focus on Him. They're trying to focus on the world, and they're trying to focus on God at the same time, but it doesn't work. time for some corrective lenses. you got an eye problem. You can't focus on yourself. You can't focus on God at the same time and serve Him. It doesn't work. And so we need to ask God this morning, if that's us, if what I just said describes you, we need to ask God this morning, God, I have multiple fields of focus. God, I'm trying to look at earth and I'm trying to see heaven at the same time and it's not working. Everything's blurry. I don't understand what's going on in my life. I need you to give me a singleness of focus on you. And I will promise you this. When you develop a singleness of focus on God, it's going to bring light to all those matters that you've been struggling with for so long. How do I get closer to God? You put a singleness on Him, I guarantee you'll find out. How do I manage my finances? Put a singleness of focus on God. He'll help you out. How do I deal with the sin that I keep struggling with? Put a singleness of focus on Him. Stop trying to focus on stuff here. Put a focus on Him. He'll deliver you from it.
third and last, if we're going to live a life for the king, then it has to be a life with one Lord. Verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. This last part says, You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon is not really an English word. That's why you probably are struggling with what that means. It's actually an Aramaic word, and so instead of giving us a clear definition, they just wrote mammon and made us look it up. And so that's, that's what we have to do. Um, mammon was originally associated with money. But eventually it became associated with any type of wealth or materialism. And so when Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon, what he's saying is, is that you can't serve God and money or God and wealth or God and materialism or any of those. Other, you can't serve both at the same time. Really, I guess if we were to boil it down to what we said earlier, you cannot serve God and you cannot serve self. You can't have two masters. And this, of course, goes right along with the command for us not to treasure earthly treasures, but instead to treasure things that are of heaven. Now, what we're dealing with here is a matter of who our master is going to be. And so the question is this, am I going to allow money to rule my life? And am I going to let wealth rule my life? Am I going to let my job rule my life? Am I going to let prestige rule my life? Am I going to let stuff rule my life, or people rule my life, or goals, or society, or any of those things rule my life? Or am I going to let God rule my life? The point of this whole message is that there's only room for one king in the life of a Christian. And so if we're going to live a life for the king, we can't have any other little lords over our lives. We can't have any other masters over our lives. There can't be any other kings. When Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon, I believe that at least two things are at work here. One is from our side, the other is from God's side. First of all, when he says you cannot, you cannot serve God and mammon, he's saying that you are incapable of serving two masters. And that's true in any form. You are incapable, it is impossible for you to serve two masters because you will inevitably cling to one and despise the other. You can't do it. It's impossible for you to serve two masters. But on the other side, on God's side, I believe it's saying this, that the moment you try to start serving money, you stop serving God. The moment you try to serve anything else in this life, you automatically, at that second, you stop serving God. Because He will not co-reign with anybody or with anything. Either He is going to be your God or something else is going to be, but He will not co-reign. You cannot serve two masters. You see, God wants a heart that is in singular devotion to Him, He will not be your God on the side while you go off and serve other gods during the week. God 
God is famous in the Old Testament for drawing lines in the sand and saying, you either serve me or you serve them, but you cannot serve both. Listen, there are some here today who have mixed loyalties. They're trying to enjoy this kingdom and God's kingdom at the same time. And they're running dry. There are some who are suffering from mixed astigmatisms. They're attempting to focus on things here and things in heaven all at once. And life is blurry. There are some here who are making the tragic mistake of trying to live with two masters. And they can't. But God has made Himself clear today. His kingdom is sovereign and His throne is singular. He will tell you right now if you ask Him, I've looked all around and there is no God but me. And so if you're going to serve me, you will serve no God but me. No other kings, no other lords. There's only room for one king and He is demanding today that you start serving Him. I want us to stand. I believe God's working on some hearts this morning. I believe His Spirit is moving. I believe He has brought some things to clear focus today. And like we do every Sunday, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to that. Your Lord, your King has said something to your heart this morning. I believe that. Your King has spoken, and you're either going to serve Him or you're going to serve yourself. You're either going to say yes or you're going to say no. You don't get a third option. The music's going to play. And you're going to have an opportunity this morning to obey God. You can do that right where you are. You can bow yourself, bow your heart right there where you are to God. Maybe you want to make your way up to the altar and devote your life to Him again. If you need me to pray with you, I'd love to do that. If you need salvation, I'd love to tell you how you can be saved. But I believe the Lord has spoken this morning. And His people, His subjects are expected to, to listen and respond. This is your opportunity to do that today. Music's going to play. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask that if God has spoken to your heart, I'd ask that you would respond this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful. God, I want to ask forgiveness for the times that I have allowed other things to become a ruler in my life. When you are the only king, there's only room for you. God, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you would help me to make you the sole ruler in my life, follow you, and have a heart of singular devotion to you. God, I thank you for each and every person that is here. And I believe that your spirit is convicting some hearts today. Perhaps there are decisions that need to be made this morning. And I pray that you would give the will and the faith to turn to you today, either in repentance or to salvation. God, allow your will to be done in the lives of all those here. We ask it all in Jesus' name.